Okay, good morning. We begin by thanking the sponsors. We thank the Talmud Torah sponsor for the month, Shmuley and Lee Badinowitz, for Eschus and Elias Neshama for her parents of Ram, Ben, Harav, and Yom, and Moshe, the Neshama Shavu, and Liam, and family Shavu, and Achama. And the Week of Learning is sponsored by Ira and Miriam Grossman, commemoration of the art site of Ira's beloved mother, Freda Grossman, Freda Bashmuel, Neshama Shavu, and Leah, and the family Shavu, and Achama. Thank you for your sponsorship. Okay, today's Amr is Daf Yudchas. 18 in Mesechus Ksubis, we are going to pick up with a quick review of what we were discussing yesterday on Daf Yud Zayin and finish that discussion today. So if you remember in the Mishnah, the first Mishnah in this parak, we had a memra from Rabbi Yoshua. Rabbi Yoshua said that if a person walks over to somebody and says to him, the following field used to belong to your father, but while it's true that the following field belonged to your father, I purchased it from your father and therefore now it's mine, the halacha is, he is believed, and the mission explains, Since he's the one who incriminated himself, he's the one who admitted that the field used to belong to this person's father in the first place, and without his admission, nobody would have known that, he's also believed to say that he purchased the field and now it's his. Because he could have just chosen not to say anything, and nobody would have been able to come over to him and say the field doesn't, doesn't belong to you. So the fact that he incriminated himself by saying the field used to belong to your father should not make him lose out on anything. And he could actually explain, well, it's true that it used to belong to your father, now it belongs to me because I paid for it. The Gemara yesterday was trying to figure out why does, it have to, why does Rabbi Yeshua need to specifically mention his halacha of hapesha asr hu hapesha hitir, which is essentially all he's trying to bring out, the concept that a person can say something incriminating and then clarify it and then he'll be believed. Why does it have to be specifically a case where he was addressing the person's father's field? Why can't it be a case which is directly related to the individual that he's talking to? Why can't it just be he walks over to somebody and says, this field used to belong to you, and it's true it used to belong to you, but I bought it from you. And the answer that we've given up until now is that we want both sides of the discussion to be true, and the side of the discussion which is, v'im yesh edim, if there is external evidence that the field belonged to somebody else, for example, there are Aiden, there are witnesses who came by and said the field used to belong to this person's father, so he's not going to be believed to say that he bought it unless he could prove, he could, he could produce some sort of proof of purchase. And it has to be consistent in all those cases. And yesterday we discussed it with regard to the halachas of Chazaka, and the, the halachas of Chazaka, which we explained yesterday, were that when once a person lives in a field for an extended period of time, for three years, and nobody came by and protested his ownership, nobody called him a squatter, nobody tried to quick him, kick him out during those three years, he can therefore stay there forever as long as he has a valid claim as to how he got the field. And we explained why it was relevant, and that would only be relevant if it was his father's field. In other words, if we were talking about a field that belonged to a specific person, so then we can have a question about the chazaka. If we're talking about a field that belonged to his father, then we found a case where the chazaka wouldn't help. Why? He was talking about a case where the father died in the middle of those three years, and he was a child when he took ownership over it, and therefore the fact that he's living there for a long time doesn't help because this is a child over here, and therefore he maintains his status as a child even though he grew up, therefore the chazaka won't work, and that's why it has to be that specific case. Now the Gemara talked about another case. The Gemara asked, why can't we be talking about 
If you go to the first white line in Daf Yudzayin and Mebeis, just a quick review, why can't we talk about the Gemara? Why can't it be a case where he lived there for two years and the Chazaka happened for two years in front of the actual owner of the field, but then he had to leave? And the Gemara ultimately explained that that couldn't be a case because we hold that a person can make a Chazaka, sorry, can make a Macha. A person can protest the ownership of the field. In other words, if somebody is living in my field, it is incumbent upon me to go to the person and say, get out. Now, how do I have to do that? I can either walk over to the person and say, hey, listen, you moved in. You're not invited here. You didn't buy the field. You didn't purchase the field. I didn't give it to you. You need to leave. It's mine. Another way of doing it is going over to other people and saying, my dear friends, I'd like to let you know, I own the, par- the property at the following address. Somebody is living there, and I want you to know he has no permission to live there, he doesn't belong there, and that would be a good enough protest that would invalidate the chazaka. So the fact that he's not there is irrelevant because he could have made the macha even shalobafan. That's ba- a basic summary of what we had up until yesterday. And we, and we discussed the case of Yehuda and Galil, and we explained that in Yehuda and Galil, things were different because there was a cherem and there, was, there were circumstances that did not allow travel from one place to the next. So if you were in Yehuda, you were still able to make a, a macha, a protest in Yehuda, but other properties in Yehuda. If you were in Galil, you were able to protest but other properties in Galil, even if you weren't in front of the person. But from Yehuda to Galil, you couldn't, because even if you did make that protest, you did protest somebody else squatting on your property, Nevertheless, the message won't get back to the people in the other community because there wasn't any traveling. Gemara says, Why did we choose Yehuda and Galil? Gemara answers to Stam Yehuda and Galil. In Yehuda and Galil, there was so, such limited travel from one place to the next, and that was always considered to be a place which was Kishas Cherem, and that was a prime example of a, of a place that did not have messengers going back and forth. Now, if you look at the top Tosas, Tosas points out this is a little bit inconsistent to Gemara in Meseches Gittin, because in Meseches Gittin, it seems to explain, let's just see it inside. It seems like the, the concept of we'll get to that Meseches Gittin, is again authenticating a get, that it was written and signed in front of you, the, the, a shliach, a messenger who carries the get, the divorce document has to make that proclamation that it was signed and written in front of him. And it says, in Eretz Yisrael, you don't have to do that because of all the travel from one place to the next. So now, it's interesting, Tosa just points out, In that case, the woman wants to make sure that the divorce actually went, went through so she spends time trying to find people who traveled, who came to Eretz Yisrael and passed through those areas. Since she's looking for those people, there's always people to find. A person who moved into someone else's property and just settled there, he's not spending his time looking around, did anybody come from, from Galil, anybody traveling up over here, did you hear him make a macha? It's not part of his agenda for his day. 
So what Tosis is pointing out is you definitely can find people who are traveling from one place to the next. It's definitely plausible that people will go from one place to the next and carry the message, but they're not very common. If you're looking for them, like the woman who wants to authenticate her divorce document, yes, indeed, she'll find them, but no squatter is looking for the owner of the field and his protest against them living there. It has to actually flow through much more freely. So now the Gemara asks a question. Why does Yehuda have to say his case, his halacha of Pesh Asr, Pesh Hitter, in the case of the father in the field, Why does it have to be a case of real estate where a person is talking about the original owner of the field and then a purchase of the property? Why can't it simply be a person who walks over to somebody and says, I borrowed $100 from you, but I paid you back. In other words, a pesha asr, I incriminate myself by saying that I am in debt to you of $100, but then I take myself out of debt by saying I paid you back. Remember, we have to have both halachas of the Mishnah being true, which is, The flip side would have to be that if Adim, witnesses come by and testify that you borrowed $100, and then you say, but I paid back, the halacha would have to be that you're not neman, you're not believed. But that is not true. Why? A person who lends his friend money in front of Edom, he is not obligated to pay him back with Edom. So the halacha is simply not true. He's allowed, he could borrow with Edom and then simply pay back without the Edom. So therefore the second half of the halacha would not have been true and therefore the Mishnah cannot give a case of Pesha Asr, Pesha Hitir by a loan where a person admits the loan on his own and then retracts and says, I paid you back. So the Gemara says, okay, why don't we choose another case? Your father lent me $100. In other words, there's a mana which belongs to your father, which is in my hands. In other words, I owe your father $100. However, I paid back half of it. I gave back part of it. He's believed. Why? Because he's the one who started off this conversation by saying that I owe your father money. And he's allowed, he should be the one who should be believed to ultimately say, but I paid back half of the loan. The Gemara says that's very nice. That actually would have worked. It would have been a very good case. The only problem with that case is that it's not true, which is a small detail. Because the Gemara says, I'll leave it to man. Who is this going according to? If this is following the opinion of the Rabbanan, we're going to get to this Machlokas in just a minute. The Rabbanan say he is a Meshav Aveda. In a case like this, where a person walks over to somebody and simply acknowledges that he owes his father money, it's just like returning a lost object. Because when a lost object is lost, the owner of the object can't get it. He can't access it. That's the Meshav Aveda. In this case as well, the person is a Meshav Aveda. He's returning a lost object because it's a loan that cannot be identified without this person himself acknowledging that he borrowed the money. If this is following the opinion of Elizabeth ben Yaakov, Ha'amar Yaakov says he still needs to make a shvua of modem victims. And we're going to see this in just a second. The Tanya, for we learned in Obraisa, 
Rabbi Lezab and Yaakov, Omer, Rabbi Lezab and Yaakov says, Pa'amim, there are cases, Sa'adam nishpa al-ta'inas atzmo. The person needs to take an oath based upon his own claim. So let's just quickly review. The halacha is, if I walk over to somebody and say to him, which means, you owe me $100. And the person says to me, which means, I'm entirely denying the entire loan. I, I say you owe me $100. The person says, you were dreaming. I never borrowed $100 from you. The whole story is just made up. In that case, obviously, if I would like to extract money from him, I would have to find some type of proof that he owes me the money. I would have to pull out some type of contract, some type of agreement, a written contract. I would have to have aid him, some type of evidence that the person owes me money. Because if he denies it, he's off the hook. It happens to be that the Chachamim instituted something called the Shavuas Hesis, which is a Shavua, an oath, which is Midrabanan in that case, but Midoraisa, if a person denies owing the money, he does not have to pay anything back. If the person says, it's true that I borrowed money from you, but I only borrowed 50, and therefore I only owe you 50, Midoraisa, the Torah obligates this person to take an oath that he only owes 50. We're going to see why very soon. In other words, admitting to the loan Admitting that the loan exists puts you in a little bit more of a vulnerable place than denying the entire loan. If you deny the whole thing, you're off the hook, scot-free, Minatora. If you admit to part of the loan, you have to take a shvua called a shvua of Modavimixas. So how about this case? A person walks over to somebody and voluntarily says, I am a Modavimixas. He walks over to him and says, I owe your father money, but only half of it. So Rebbe Lezer says, There are times when a person needs to take an oath based on his own claim. Ketzad, what's the example? Your father has a mana in my hands, and I paid back half of it. Says Rebbe Lezer ben Yaakov, He needs to take an oath of Modav Vizehu, and this is the case, he is only like Aveda and he is Pater. So now let's just take a break for a second. Why is this opinion like nobody? In other words, if Rabbi Yehuda said this halacha, why would it follow nobody? If you look at Rashi, Aliba Deman, he says, Tanai Pligi Baha Milsa This is a Machlokas in Shavuos. If Rabbi Yeshua said this halacha, Pesha Aser, Pesha Hitir, then he's saying, and he said in the case of a person acknowledging a loan to someone's father, he would be like nobody. Chachamim take their case so far as to say, even if he's asking him for the money, if he admits it and then explains that I paid back half, He's a Meshav Aveda. He doesn't have to take anything. So it doesn't have to be a case where a person initiates the discussion on his own. Remember, our case in the Mishnah was the case of Ein Shar Shachat Lefanach. We explained that term, which means there is no question mark before this person walks up. So Rabbi Yoshua's halacha is not going to be true because Rabbi Yoshua's halacha would extend even to the case of the Chachamim, where the person actually says, hey, you owe my father money. 
So therefore, it can't follow anyone's opinion. Now the Gemara now gets into this discussion of the Chachamim and Rebbe Lazar ben Yaakov. And the, and the, the Gemara asks, Rebbe Lazar ben Yaakov less the Mishnah of Eid Pater. This, this is a Mishnah, it's a Mishnah which is Mephoreshes, which says, if a person is doing a service for somebody else, a person goes out of their way to try to help somebody, then we don't start making their life difficult. So in other words, the concept of Mesha Avede is a person finds a lost, lost object. If you're going to start making this person take all kinds of shavuos and make his life difficult to return it, you know what the person's going to say? What do I need to get busy with returning lost articles to people? It's, it makes my life difficult. I have to take a shavua and have all types of responsibilities. Why should I bother with this? And therefore, for tikkun olam, to make the world a better place, you want people to have an easier time returning lost articles, we try to make their life a little bit easier for them. So now, this bright, this machlokis between Rabbi Lozav and Yaakov and the Chachamim seems to indicate that Rabbi Lozav and Yaakov does not hold of the halacha of Meshav Aveda, because he's about to make this guy take a shavua. For what reason? Because he voluntarily went and offered to pay back a loan. So the Gemara says, of course he holds of that. Of course he holds of the concept of Mesha Aveda. However, Amarav, in this case, Betuano Kata. We're talking about a case where the child was a Kata. So it wasn't like he voluntarily just walked up and said, hey, by the way, I owe your father money. It's talking about where the child walks over to him and says, hey, sir, I believe you owe my father money. Now his father passed away. The kid walks over and says, you owe my father money. So now the problem is, very nice that the child initiated this discussion, but generally when a katan, when a child comes over and initiates a claim, we don't really assume the child knows his father's affairs that way, that well. And therefore, a person never would go so far as to take a shavu, which is a very serious thing, based on the claim of a child. So Gemara says, no, 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 this is not just a regular katan. My katan, God, the child is a katan. Now, obviously, the Gemara is going to say, if he's a child, don't call, him an, don't, don't call him an adult. If he's an adult, don't call him a child. So the Gemara says, when it says katan, it doesn't mean a katan in the halachic terminology of being a child. What it means is, what it means is he's his father's young child. Not that he is under the age of bar mitzvah, who falls into the halachic category of a katan, but he's his father's child. Why do we think this kid, just because he's his father's biological son, all of a sudden knows all of his father's financial affairs? That's not how it works. You don't get to know everything about your father just because you're related to him. So therefore, there is some type of weakness within this claim by virtue of the fact that he's a child. So Gemara says, oh, I'm confused. Ihachi, tainas atzmo, tainas We just undermine the whole halacha of Rabbi Lazar ben Yaakov. Rabbi ben Yaakov says there are times when a person is obligated to take a shavua based on his own claim. Here we're talking about an adult child he walks over to somebody and says, hey, you owe my father money. So why is that Tainus Asma? Why is that his own admission, his own claim? So the Gemara says, Tainus Acherim, this is someone else's claim, Vahotas Asma. 
but his own admission. The Gemara says, thank you very much. That's how it always works, my friend. A person walks over to somebody and says, you owe me $100, and he responds and says, it's true I borrowed money, but I only owe 50 Every time we have a discussion like this, it's taina sacher, somebody else comes and makes the claim, and you have your admission, albeit in this case only for half the money. So Gemara says, we have to change courses. It must be we're misunderstanding the entire machlokas between Rav and Yaakov and the Chachamim. Here, the Machlokas is based upon the statement of Rabbah. And this is something very important to know. This is a very important Shas concept. If you look at the side of the Gemara, you're going to see that this is quoted to Amar Rabbah. It's in Gitin, it's in Babakama, and it appears at least three times in Mesechus Shavuos. So here we are in Mesechus Ksuvis, which precedes all of that. So we're having our first introduction to this statement of Rabbah here. It's a very sodistic Shas Svara about Moda B'Mikzas. Moda B'Mikzas is one of those things that come up all the time. And the Gemara asks, why is it that one who takes, who admits to half of a loan, needs to make, take a Shavuah? Why is it that when a person agrees to half of a loan, that he has to take a Shavuot? And the Gemara answers. Rabbi explains. Chazaka, we have an established, pretty much established fact over here. A person goes ahead and lends you money. It takes a certain level of chutzpah to go ahead and just say in front of that person's face, the whole thing never happened. Now, if you look at Tosfus, really Rashi seems to explain that a person is kind enough to lend you money. He doesn't have to do that. He's kind enough to lend you money when you need it. It really just takes a certain ha'azan, audacity, to go back to the person and say, you did me a favor, you lent me money when I needed it, but you know what I'm going to do to you right now? I'm going to completely deny the whole loan in front of your face. It's just a certain type of ha'aza. But Tosa says it can't, that cannot be the reason. That cannot be the explanation. Why? Because one of the cases that we have Moda B'Mikzas is a case where the person who is admitting actually did the other person a favor. Where is that? By a pikadon. Pikadon is a deposit where a person asks somebody, can you do me a favor and guard my own property? So the person says, I'm going away. I don't have a safety deposit box. I don't want to leave my money in my own house. I'm going to leave $1,000 with you in your house. I'll come back in a week and I'll pick it up. And the person comes back a week later and, he's, and says, hey, listen, can I have my money back? He says, sure, here's $500. And the person says, $500? I left 1000 He says, nope, I'm sorry, you left money here, but only 500 That's also Motiv Mikzas. So that can't be a case, that is not a case where the person did me a favor. I actually did the guy a favor. So Tosus explains, it's the last line on this page of Tosus. El Omar Rabbeinu Tam, Ta'anu kegon chazaka, He's talking about a case over there of a woman. In this case, The basic idea, according to Tosfus, is that just regular, normal people just don't have built into them such a level of chutzpah to say something to somebody that that person knows is not true. In other words, it take, if a person wants to lie, at least the lie should be with the deception that people will believe you. 
When a person gets out there and lies to somebody else, a liar at least, a normal liar at least believes that the person who he's lying to buys the story. But it takes a certain level of chutzpah to get out there and to lie and to say things to people that everybody in the room, including yourself, including those who are there, know is a false statement. It's just a certain level of ha'azah and chutzpah that people just, normal people don't do that. The chazaka is that most people don't do that. Do people do that sometimes? I don't know. Maybe. In normal society, most normal people don't do that. And that's the chazaka of Modu Mikta. So get back, getting back to this. Why does the Torah say that somebody who admits to part of a claim has to take a shavua? Chazaka, there's an established fact. The person doesn't have the audacity to deny an entire loan in front of the person who lent it to him. For hi, this guy, really, he's lying, and Bakula boy de la Kafre. He really wants to deny the whole thing. And the reason why he's not completely denying the loan is because he just doesn't have the chutzpah built into him to lie like that. Therefore, because he does not want to be a liar, he really would admit to the whole loan. Why doesn't he? He's just trying to push it off. In other words, he doesn't have the money available. And instead of having to explain to him that he lost his job and he owed money to somebody else and he paid him and he's getting paid next week, he just denies it. He says, I owe you 50. And he really intends to come back in a week and says, by the way, you know what, I, the whole thing I told you that, that last week, about the half loan, I was lying to you. Here's the rest of the money. The savar When I get the money, I'll pay him back. So what does the Torah say? Give the guy a little bit of a kick in the pants and tell him, listen, all right, no problem. You denied it, we'll take you at your word. Just take, a, take an oath. Take an oath, take a shavua, and once you take the shavua, you only owe half, then we'll take you at your word. In such a case, the person says, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and take an oath, make a false shavua. I'm not doing that. Now, this is the reason why Emodim Mixas has to take a Shavuah. Really, essentially says the Gemara, to give the guy a little bit of a kick in the pants to ultimately man up and admit to the whole loan. But this is all based on the concept that a person won't brazenly go out there and deny a loan that he knows, and he knows the other guy knows, and the other guy knows that he knows that he actually owes. So now, Rebelezov and Yaku Savar, Loshanu Bo, Loshna Bo, Voloshna Bibno. Eno meyes. It doesn't make a difference if you're talking with the actual person who lent the money or the son of the person. Person's just not going to take to have the chutzpah to deny the loan. He's not really a meshav aveda when he agrees that he owes half the money because it's really not up to him. When you're a normal person, there are certain things that are not up that are not up to you. Normal people just don't have it within them to go ahead and lie. And therefore, you're not a Mesh of Aveda. You were put on the spot because the person came and claimed the money from you. For Abbanon Safri, Abbanon of the opinion, Bo, who, Deino Meiz, in the actual person who lent the money, that's where a person's not going to have the chutzpah to deny the loan. 
Aval Bibno with his son, Meiz, because he thinks maybe the son doesn't really know. I could trick the son. I could fool the son. The son is all confused about his father's estate anyway, and therefore I don't have a, such, a, such a problem denying it to, to the son. Umedelohe is the fact that he chose not to have the chutzpah to deny the loan. He is considered to be a Meshavaveda. So that concludes that discussion about Rablaza ben Yaakov and the Chachamim. But again, the conclusion is that everybody agrees to the concept of Meshavaveda. Everyone agrees that when I go ahead and voluntarily bring myself into a situation of a monetary dispute with somebody, why did I do it for the sake of trying to give the person back money that he rightfully owes? In such a case, we're not going to impose a Shavuah on the person to make his life difficult. We're going to try to make life as easy as possible. Why? Because you want to try to encourage, not discourage, good behavior. The post can discuss this in the various, various different contexts. How far does this go that when someone is involved in doing something good, that we want, don't want to make their life difficult? In other words, in this case, it's very direct. I went there to acknowledge a loan. And in acknowledging that loan, I really got myself in trouble, and now I might have to take a shvua based on that loan. What if I was volunteering and doing something for the community? And in the context of volunteering and doing something for the community, somebody accused me of stealing something. So it's really two separate things. I was doing something good for the community, and I could have said, you know what, forget it. No more community service. Here I go out there, I take time out of my day, and I volunteer, and I'm cleaning up the shul, and there I am, and now I have to face all types of, types of accusations that I stole something from the coffee room. Forget it, I'm not doing that anymore. Or do we say, well, you know what? You're really unrelated. If we're going to say that you stole the, um, I don't know, the mop, so you were actually there mopping. You're doing something good. But... Is it actually related to a potential case of theft? So that's where the discussion in the postgum comes out. The bottom line is it really, it really gets very sensitive in different cases in the Sashala for a posake. And the Brazil machine actually has a shadow about this Bethat Sala guy who was called to someone's home. I think the, whatever the guy was well, he called that Sala and he lived alone. And when he got better, he noticed he was missing something from his apartment. So he's thinking, who is the only person who came to my apartment? That's Hatzalagai. So now he wants to go ahead and claim that Hatzalagai should now have to take a shvur that he didn't steal his, his, his stuff. Hatzalagai says, I came to your house. You weren't feeling well. I took care of you. I put you in the ambulance and I brought you to the hospital. Why do you think I was stealing your stuff? I wasn't there to steal. I was here to bring you to the hospital. He says, no, no, you were the only guy who came to my house and you should take a shvur that he didn't steal it. So do we say that Hatzalagai is a Meshav Aveda? The Gemara actually says, saving someone's life is a Shavas Aveda. So, and we say he's a Meshavaveda, he's Pater. Or do we say it has nothing to do with anything? One case was helping the guy with his medical needs, and now he claims you were in my apartment, you stole something. It's a, it's a very good and interesting discussion, but again, generally speaking, everyone agrees with the concept of Meshavaveda. We don't want to make people's life difficult for them. The question just is how far does this go that a Meshavaveda is Pater from a Shavua? Does it even go to external circumstances related to the community service that they are doing? The Gemara continues. The Mishnah continues. Now, just by way of introduction, this is a very important shas, soya called Kiyom Shtaros. This Mishnah is really, it, and, this, and the following Gemara is 
one of those sugas that are learned in yeshiva, and it takes, what we're going to learn today in about 15 minutes, takes about 15 weeks in yeshiva to learn. And the reason for that is because every one of these concepts that we're going to bring are concepts that really have all types of depth to them. What is the reason for them? How can you apply them? Under what circumstances do they apply? So I encourage you, if you have some time today, today is Sunday, to go ahead and look through some of the shiurim online. I can't tell you that I went, went through them. I know which ones to listen to. If you find any of those lumdus on the daf type of uh, shiurim, I encourage you to listen to it because this is really something, a real shas studya, and the concepts over here are really deep. But we're going to go through it in as clear a fashion as possible, but as well we have to finish by the time today's shir is over. Now, there is an idea called kiyam shtaros, which is the following. Mido raisa, from the Torah's perspective, if you have a shtar, you have a contract, the contract is written properly, and it is signed, it is valid, and it can be used to extract money or to keep money. That's, that's the halacha. Whatever the shtar is intended to do will work as long as it is written and it is signed. Nevertheless, Chazal instituted something called Kiyem Shtaros. So Midra Banan, there is an idea that you have to actually authenticate the shtar, which means that technically anybody can go ahead and write a shtar and forge signatures. I could write anybody's name. How do, how do we avoid that from happening? We have the concept of Kiyem Shtaros. What does Kiyem Shtaros mean? Kiyem Shtaros is when the Edom themselves can verify that it is their signature on the document. There are a number of ways of doing it. Either the actual witnesses walk in and say, oh, that's Darya, that's my signature. I signed that paper. Or another way of doing it is that other people come in and testify, I recognize the signature of this person. Could be I worked with him or I've seen his signature a number of times. This looks like his signature. Another way of doing it is where we have other documents that were signed by these Edim and that other document was already authenticated in another way. So here we have the following case. Edim came, they looked at Ishtar and they said, This indeed is my signature. When I signed that star, I did it under duress. I did not sign that star really because the information on the star is correct. I signed it because the person who wrote it forced me to sign it. Or ketanamayin. Yeah, it's my signature, but I was seven years old when I signed it. And therefore, my signature is worthless. Or psuli edesayinu. I was not kosher as an aide to sign it. It's true that I signed it, but I was not, I, I was not somebody who was able to sign the star. Says the Mishnah Harel in the Emanit. Now let's just point out, when it comes to Psuli Edus, Rashi says, Krovim o Either they were related, so the person's an upstanding citizen, but he's just puzzled for Edus in this particular case because he's related to the person who's involved. Rashi adds in Masachah kim which is that this person was involved in shady business. It literally means people who play with cubes. Which is, which is a game. Now, it's, it's a game which is gambling. Now, getting to the sugi of gambling doesn't mean that anybody, anybody who ever played poker is going to be 
Pasaladis, what the Rav explains, and the Mshit Mekabetzis discusses this Pnei Yeshua, it's talking about somebody whose entire life and the entire Parnassah and everything they do is involved in this, and that's considered somebody who's Eno Misasik B'Yeshuva Shalolam. The person is not doing something at all which helps society by sitting there playing games their whole life. So a person like that is Pasal for Edus. Now, the problem is others disagree with Rashi because a person's not Nemo, and we're going to see very soon, to turn themselves into a Russia. So if a person comes by and says, it's my signature, but I'm Pasal Edus. Why am I Pasal Edus? Because I have the following flaw in my character. You're not Nemo to say that about yourself. You can't testify about yourself that you're a Russia. So therefore, most I think Yona actually writes this, that most understand that when you say you're apostle for Edus, it just means that you are not kosher in this particular case because of your family relationship. Now, the next question becomes, so how am I, how am I now to testify about the case to say that the star is apostle? So they come up with a, with a case where it was a, a, you were related to the person through marriage and that marriage dissolved. So therefore, at the time, what you're saying is, at the time that I signed the star, I was related, to, so therefore, I was not a kosher witness. But now, that is taken care of. That's over. The person died, or the, or the, marriage, the marriage is no longer relevant. In such a case, he's Nam. All right, the commissioner continues. What if we were able to authenticate the star? Because Adim came and said, oh, we know these signatures, I recognize these signatures, and therefore the star is authentic, the star is verified. We had another star that has their signature, an identical signature, and that star was authenticated, or that star was verified in another way. They're not believed to say that when we signed it, we were not kosher In other words, a very similar halacha to we had before. The same concept of Pesha also a Pesha Hitter. I am the one who comes and says, the star is kosher. I'm the one who points out that the signature of the Edom is good because I verified that it was me who signed it. But I throw something in there and say, while it's true that I signed it, I'm the guy. I'm just letting you know that signature was not a valid signature because of some external circumstances. Either I was related or I didn't want to sign it and the whole, all the information in there is false or I was a cut and I was a child and I couldn't sign it. But either way, if you're the one who verifies it, you can go ahead and disqualify it. But if it's verified through an outside source, you don't have the right to disqualify it. Amar Rami Bar Chama. Rami Bar Chama says, Lo shanu, this Mishnah was not learned, Ela sha'amru anusim hayinu machmas mama. When a person says they were forced to sign it, that's only when they say they were forced by virtue of monetary reasons. Ela anusim hayinu machmas tefashos, if a person says, if I, I was forced because I was, my life was threatened, so if you look at Rashi, Rashi understands that at this point, the, the Gemara is saying on the following case. In other words, that that we learned that you're not believed if your signature came from another place, that's only if you're saying that you are forced through monetary reasons. So the Gemara says, Would we actually believe the person to say that? 
So this is a very loaded line, but in a very simple understanding of this is, a person gets one shot at Eidos. Eidos is such a powerful thing. It says in the Pasuk, We establish facts based on the utterance of Eidim. Based on what two Eidim say. If that fact is only a fact until you come back and say another fact, it's not a fact. So therefore, there's a concept of kivin shehegid. Once you say edus, the edus sticks, and you don't have the ability to be able to come back and say, well, you know what? I actually want to take that back. Once you say edus, you're not believed even against yourself. If you establish a fact with the power of edus, you can't come back later and uproot that fact. So now the Gemara says, you signed a star. You signed a star. Now, why should you be believed to say that you were forced because of monetary reasons? In other words, this line can't be true that when it comes to monetary reasons, sorry, when it comes to that he was forced because he was, his life was at risk, in such a case, why would you be believed? Your first aid to stands. So, if you're going to suggest that's only true when the first Eidus was verbal Eidus but not written Eidus it's not true when there is Eidim signed on a star on a contract it's as if based and put this person through the full extent of cross-examination in other words, we take it as real edus. We're misunderstanding this concept. In other words, we thought at the beginning that we were differentiating between in ones, a situation of duress, and we said that it's only that you're only not believed when it's a monetary duress, but if it's actually threatening your life, you would be believed. Even if there is external evidence which verified and authenticated the star, that's not true. That, is, that, that can't be true. Because if we authenticate the star, other people come, come by and say the star is valid. There is no backing out. You can't uproot that. Eidos is Eidos and it's final. It can't be changed. So rather when this line was said that there's a differentiation and there's a distinction between an onus, a monetary onus, and a nefashos, a life-threatening ones, must have been harasha in the first half. And it goes as follows. elu if, if a person comes by and authenticates the star by saying, I signed it, but I was an ones. They are only believed if they say, it is my signature, but I was forced. What type of Force was it? The person threatened to take my life. The person says I was an honest because the person threatened to take my money. They're not believed. My time, why not? A person is not believed to tell us something which makes him a Russia. Essentially, the person is saying that I am willing to sign on a star which is going to cost somebody else money to save me money. A horrible thing to do. A person would be a Russia for doing that. I would go ahead and sign a false document 
which obligates someone else to pay money. Why? To save me from paying money? That's terrible. What kind of behavior is that? So therefore, in such a case, he is not believed. Now, there's a concept here, which I can't leave the Amr without pointing out, which is called Palgina Dibura. Palgina Dibura is, again, a fascinating sugya, but a Palgina Dibura literally means we split the person's words. And sometimes this happens when you're analyzing what a person says, you, you recognize that there's a story here to be said, but we don't want to take the person entirely at their words. So Tosa says, why can't we say in this case that a person says, it's my signature, we were forced. What type of onus was it? I was forced for monetary reasons. Why don't we say it's true that you were forced, but you're just not giving all the information and we'll assume that really the force that happened was that you were forced with a life-threatening situation. In other words, why don't we take you at your word that there was some type of external duress over here, but we'll say, listen, the fact that you're mentioning that it was an onus maman, we're not gonna, which is a, just a financial stress, we can't believe you on that because it turns you into a rasha, but we'll assume that it was a different type of onus which was much more severe. And Tosa says we would do that, except for the fact that how often is it something like this happened that a person forces somebody at gunpoint to sign a star. It's just not a normal case. So if there was some type of normal situation that we can finish your sentence with, we would. But if we have to finish your sentence with a bizarre circumstance that a person came by and threatened to kill you, if you're not going to sign a star, those are just not everyday things that happen in most normal societies. We have some more time. Let's go, let's go a little bit further. This is going back, as Rashi points out, in the first part of the Mishnah. In other words, the Rabbanon said he's not Naaman to ruin the Shtar. That's Rameyer's opinion. In other words, Eidim are not, are not believed to ruin a, 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 what, what appears to be a valid, authentic Shtar. They are believed to ruin the star. According to Rabbanon, it makes sense. Which is, you are the one who validated the star by saying we signed it, and therefore you can disqualify it by saying that while you signed it, you were forced to sign it. According to Mayor, why are you not believed to disqualify the star? It would make sense when it comes to psule edus. Because you could say, Malva What are you going to tell me that you are apostle for Edos? You are a relative? The guy is lending money here. And the guy is going out of his way to write a star to make sure that his loan is collectible. He's not going to realize he shouldn't ask the person's brother-in-law to sign the star. The, the, the Malva, the one who lends the money, is going to be careful not to have relatives or someone else who's apostle for Edos to sign the star. So he won't, he, Medik Daik, Umechtam, he'll get good people to sign it. Ketanim Navi, Kedrish Lakish, Ketanim also, just like Rish Lakish, Dumrish Lakish, Chazaka, Eina Edim, Chasumin al Shtarim, Kinas Begado. This is a Chazaka that Edim don't sign a star unless there are adults there. People are not spending their time with child's play. So if there are children there signing stars, other people don't sign it, they don't get involved. So therefore, it's very rare that that should come up. 
Ella Anusim? Why, according to a mayor, are you not believed to say you were an Ones? The Gemara says, Amr of Chista, Kasavar of Mayor, Edim Sha'amru Lehem Chist Musheker. Edim, who are told, sign falsely on this line, sign a false document. What does he say? Chist Musheker Ve'al Taharog. Sign falsely on this document and I won't kill you. In other words, it's a very nice way of saying, if you don't sign on the star, I'm going to kill you. Says Rav says, Chista, that Rav is of the opinion that Yaharogu al Yichasmi, person should choose to lose their life better than to sign Sheker. So again, Sign falsely and I won't kill you. What's the halacha? Yaharogu, let yourself be killed. Fa'al yichas musheker, and do not sign falsely. So Amalei Rava, hashta ilu asalu kaman, if someone came to his Rav and asked a shayla, and lemluche, ilu asalu kaman lemluche, amrinim lehu ziluch asumu v'alot tizkatlon, we never would pass him that a person should actually lose their life over a false signature. We know there are three cardinal sins. Gila rayas, shvichas damen, and avod azara. But it doesn't say anywhere that a person is obligated to give up his life not to sign falsely. So if they came to ask us this, Shiloh, we would say that yes, it's better to sign falsely than to lose your life. It's only those three things. So now, now that they did it, you say to them, hey, why'd you sign? You should have let yourself be killed. That's not true. If I could, would have asked you, you would have said, don't be killed. Rav Meir's reason is entirely different. Nothing to do with this wild idea that a person should give up their life not to sign a star falsely. Rather, Rav Meir's opinion is, once a star is written, it no longer needs to have Kiyom Shtaros. In other words, he's of the opinion that this Kiyom Shtaros is extra credit, but the star works. The star is written, the star is signed, the star is valid, you don't need to authenticate it. So therefore, the fact that you are coming there and authenticating it is really not a big deal, because we don't need you. So if we don't need you to authenticate it, you don't have the ability to disqualify it. That's the opinion of the mayor. We'll stop here. Have a wonderful day, and have a wonderful week.